You can be seated. Let's continue in prayer, praying the Psalms. We're praying Psalm 25, 11 through 21. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Whatever that sin is in our life, we can confess it to him and receive forgiveness even before we leave this place today. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. O oh Lord, let us grow in the fear of you that we may know you better. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Lord, anyone that is hurting today in any way, Lord, heal them, encourage them, build them up. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress. Take away all my sins. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving our sins by the blood of Jesus. See how my enemies have increased, how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. Lord, our hope is in you today. And as David ended that prayer, he mentioned enemies. Lord, I pray that we would love our enemies and forgive them. They could be in our family or friends or someone at work or a faceless business. But Lord, we give them to you today and ask for strength and help and forgiving to live holy lives and to share our faith and to love with the love of Christ, to give to that one in need. Pray your blessing on the PRC today. Thank you for that ministry of Kim and her staff. Pray that they would have a great 2022 and impacting lives for you and saving lives. And bless the EFCER, Pastor Dave and all the staff members, our directors and staff people up there in the office in Canton and all the pastors. Lord, thank you for this movement that you've raised up to work alongside other good denominations and parachurch groups, all for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to see his kingdom expanded in our midst, in our community, in this country and around the world. We pray that you would heal minds and bodies today. Bless marriages and families. And bless your word shared today. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the children at this time to come up front with me. And I want to pray with them. Let's step back here. Let's step back here. Away from the candle. Yeah. Just uh, for your own safety. It would be hot, yes. Oh, hi, Toby. You're Batman. Hey, buddy. How are you today? You good? Good to have you. Hey. Hey, all right. Here's our group today. Come on in, Cordelia. Okay, Lord, thank you for these beautiful children that you have made. Thank you for their families. We pray, Lord, that they would hear about Jesus today and just love him more and more. We know that you love them. Bless them and their teacher today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thank you for that hug. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Charles wouldn't mind just walking around and, and handing you a mic. If you want to say something, and let, let's do it today along the lines of, what are you thankful for? We just celebrated Thanksgiving, and I hope that was a thankful day in your heart. But if there's something specific you'd like us to hear and be encouraged about that you're thankful for, I want to give you an opportunity to share that. Yeah, I think you should, Rita. I am so grateful for all of you and the love that you have shown towards me and my family um, in response to the fire that we had at our house. And God has just truly, truly shown his love to us through all of you, through prayers and everything else that has gone on. So thank you. Thank you. And I thank him so much that I'm alive and have breath in my body and my grandchildren and my family. Just really praise the Lord. That's something to be thankful for, isn't it? That's really great. Thank you, Rita, for sharing. Anyone else? You're thankful for something you'd like to share? I see Ernie back there. Pastor Charles Ernie. Thankful for. Uh, first of all, thankful that Rick has made progress that she's made, and uh, she'll never do half of what she was capable of before. But uh, thank you for all your prayers and support, and we're thankful to be where she's at. Thankful for George being on the uh, school board. Had it not been for his vote, That's right. uh, I'm sure the person he replaced would have voted the other way. Thank. Yes. And I thank you for your prayers and for you our family. Those that could were in over to Thanksgiving holiday, and they're all back. Those so that was a great. Thank you. Thanks, Ernie. Amen. Like everyone, we're thankful for our families, our spouses. But this particular year, uh, I'm thankful for God who answers the big prayers, the tough ones, the ones that we pray years and years for. He is faithful. If he hasn't answered yours yet, in the way you would like. Be open to how he does answer them. In my case, in my family, um, we're starting to see family relationships restored that we thought would never, ever heal. So I praise God for that. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Thank you for sharing. I just want to say one thing. I just want to praise God and thank him that we can know with assurance that he is in every situation, whether we see him in it or not, and that he loves our children. And even when they're not walking with him, that he loves them more than we do. And he is more than capable and able to bring them back. And we can have peace through that, even though it breaks our hearts. (laughs) True word, Laura. Laura, thank you for sharing that. Okay. okay, I guess one more. I just want to say, this, it was a really sweet moment um, for us because the Saturday before Laura 
had um, picked up some roses at Publix and had definitely felt prompted to do that. And at the end of the Woman of the Vine meeting, she brought the roses around, and I, I had picked one, and then she brought them around again. I picked two yellow roses, as they reminded me of Ed's mother. And um, as we had gone up to Ohio and going through some of Ann Hilda's things, who, whom Ed um, lost a month or so ago, um, there was some paintings, and there was a watercolor I had done that she had hung. And I, you know, so we just took what I had done, and we brought it home. And I had left the roses out on the dates, thinking, well, they're just going to wilt you know, while we're gone. And it was just a very special moment, because I guess there's been, like, some question about Aunt Hilda, you know, as, as she left. And there was just a moment where we realized that the watercolor were these two beautiful yellow roses, and then what was sitting on the counter were these two beautiful yellow roses. And it, we just it kind of affirmed that God was giving us a piece about Aunt Hilda. Just so it was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, one of those little God moments. Thank you for sharing, Kathy. Thank you. There used to be a business, it's not a business now, but it was called Revenge Unlimited. They would give you ideas on how you could take revenge on your enemies. On their website, which of course is no longer there, is this statement. There are people in desperate need of a good dose of humility. And we exist to help you make sure they get it. I love this little thing from Judith Vihorst called I'll Fix Anthony. And the context is an older brother always picking on his younger brother who is five. And so the younger brother dreams of fixing Anthony. When I'm six, I'll fix Anthony. We'll have a jumping contest and I'll jump higher. We'll have a race. I'll win. I'll give him a head start and I'll still win. I'll jump off the high dive. Anthony will be afraid and jump off the low dive. I'll float and Anthony will sink. Anthony will have German measles. Dad will take me to the ball game. Then Anthony will have the mumps. Mom will take me to the park. Then Anthony will have a virus and Grandpa will take me to the movies. I might save him some popcorn, but then I might not. I'll read the newspaper. Anthony will read his ABCs. I'll add numbers in my head. Anthony will add one plus one plus two with his fingers. I'll beat him at all the video games. Friends will call for me to spend the night. No one will call Anthony. When I'm six, my teeth will all fall out. I'll put them under my pillow. The tooth fairy will leave me two quarters. Anthony's teeth won't fall out. I might sell one of my teeth to him, but then again, I might not. When I'm six, I'll be tall and Anthony will be short. When I'm six, I'll fix Anthony. I think perhaps the most difficult experience in life is dealing with unfair treatment. So what do we do? Do we fix them? Do we get even with them? That's a natural thing to do. Well, here's what Jesus says for us to do in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, which was Roman law, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sins reigned on the just and the unjust. So how about instead of fixing them, love them? We're going to look at a great example of someone who dealt with unfair treatment. It occurred in the life of David. So let's start with setting the context in 1 Samuel 18. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, so that's Goliath, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. So David became the hit song of Israel, the number one song in the land. He was praised because he defeated Goliath. And in defeating Goliath, the whole nation benefited. So Saul became jealous. His jealousy became demonic in origin. And and he hurled a spear at David to pin him against the wall. And those spears can be words today. So either you're going to throw a spear back or run. And David ran. Henry Cloud, in his book, Necessary Endings, says there's three kinds of people. First, the wise. They encounter truth and change their behavior. Then there's the foolish who encounter truth and don't change. And then there's the evil person. They intend to harm you, to bring you down. Now, we have to realize that we can't change people We can only change ourselves and some people won't change themselves. So it's important to learn to spot toxic people. Here's a few evidences or signs. 
They make the same mistake over and over again. They're self-absorbed, lie a lot, manipulate, blame. They're never wrong. They're always a victim. They're angry. They have a hidden agenda. They're critical. They gossip. They ignore boundaries. They're passive aggressive, refuse to accept responsibility. So Cloud advises to limit fools, limit time spent with them and their influence in your life. And he says the evil person you must eliminate from your life, block them, fire them as friends, love them, but at a distance to run is actually a good practice. Get away from abusers. Abusers are like alligators. They smile a lot. They show their teeth, but those teeth are sharp. And if you get too cozy with them, you could be eaten. We'll see that David was on the run for the next seven years as a fugitive. Saul took his wife and gave her to another man. Saul pursued him to Engedi near the Dead Sea. There are lots of hills and caves there. The perfect place to hide and see who's coming. David wasn't alone there. First Samuel 22, 1 to 2 tells us. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to him there. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And they were with him about 400 men. These men were the first to become David's mighty men. 400 here became as many as 600, and they served as David's bodyguards. But they were more like hell's angel types. The NIV says they were the three D's. They were in distress, they were in debt, and they were discontented. They were, they were a rough group. But rabble compared to Saul's 3,000 special forces troops. Now we come to our main text. 1 Samuel 24. You can read that along with me. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting in the inmost parts of the cave and the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. 
And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day. How you have dealt well with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. So Saul had been tracking David. And he sees a cave and goes into that cave and uses the bathroom. Now, you know, when you walk into the bright light from the bright light into a dark cave, you are totally blind. You can't see a thing. So he did not see David's men huddled in the back of the cave and they stayed quiet. And apparently David crawled up forward to Saul. And I think Saul probably took off his cloak and David cut off a corner of it and then Saul put back on his garment and left. Now, what are some principles from this story that help us deal with difficult people? Something that we all have to deal with in our life. What can we glean from this story and apply to our lives? The first thing is genuine love for an enemy won't be popular. See that in verses 1 through 7. We see that David didn't cave in. To the pressure from his friends, they were all saying, this is the perfect opportunity to take revenge on your enemy. Kill your enemy, David. And they cite some prophetic word given to David by God that he would deliver his enemies into his hands. They said, today is that day, David. God brought Saul to you today to kill. This must be of God. Be careful how you interpret circumstances. Sometimes what appears obvious isn't. Satan can twist and arrange circumstances, too. Let God's timing prevail. Don't push the door open. Jesus told us to turn the other cheek and to go the second mile. I know it doesn't make sense. But David gave in to their admonitions and he cut 
part of his robe off. Then his conscience pricked him. In Romans 2:15, it says they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. To touch someone's clothing was like touching the person. You remember the story of, of the woman with the issue of blood who approached Jesus and touched the hem of his garment and was healed. It was disrespectful of David to cut Saul's robe. It was like he was cutting Saul in his heart. And sometimes that's what we do when we're treated unfairly. We may not outwardly do something, but we show in our heart that we're cutting them. Be careful who you listen to. I know David appreciated the loyalty of his bodyguards, but he knew what was in them. He, he knew their character. They weren't spiritual giants. Most of them were criminals. So our friends don't always give us the best advice. Mentors and even critics are better go to's. David rebuked them. He literally, it says in the Hebrew, tore into them. They might have killed Saul themselves if David hadn't stopped them. David feared the Lord more than them. God Hadn't brought Saul there for David to kill, but to see if David trusted him. Could he wait on God's timing? Let God remove the Saul in your life when he's ready. Can you keep your hands off of them until God is ready to move? Romans twelve nineteen says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, let's look at a second principle from this story and dealing with difficult people. Genuine love needs a clear perspective. Genuine love needs a clear perspective. We see that in verses 8 through 11. We need to see what's happening from God's viewpoint, from God's eyes. David calls Saul, my Lord. The anointed of the Lord, my master, my father. We see that he respected Saul's position and authority, even though he disagreed with what he was doing to him. Now, I remember a vivid lesson my grandpa Vincent taught me that has stuck with me to this day. He loved the evangelist A.A. A. Allen. Maybe some of you old timers might have heard of A.A. A. Allen. He was an evangelist in the 40s and 50s and had quite a powerful ministry. But his ministry ended badly with alcoholism and I think several affairs. But my grandfather would allow no one to speak badly of A.A. Allen. And he always quoted this verse from Romans 11:29, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. So when there's a popular TV preacher and that I feel like, oh, I really disagree with him. If it's scriptural reasons, I think that's OK to point out error, but I try to never attack their character because I, I don't know what's in their heart. Remember that your enemy has been created in the image of God and is greatly loved by God. Christ died for him or her. So we need to see our enemy from God's eyes, not our experience. Give them the benefit of the doubt. We don't know all they're going through. Maybe they're in pain or sick, and that's why they're grumpy toward you all the time. 
if you respond in love, it just may change their heart. Remember, we can't make someone else change. We can only change ourselves, but we can pray for them to change. But I think sometimes we believe they're too bad to change. And almost like we don't want them to change so we can still hate them. Maybe it's our attitude that's holding them back. We see that David talked to Saul. He, he reasoned with him. He spoke respectfully to him. And the scripture tells us to do that in Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. It's a win situation. Ephesians 4:15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So rather than the natural thing with the easy thing, gossip about him to everybody else and hate them, go to them and try to work it out. You may be able to resolve the misunderstanding. OK, third principle in dealing with difficult people. Genuine love is not defensive. We see that in verses 11, 12 through 15. Two times in that section, David says, may the Lord judge between us. In other words, he gave the problem to God. Matthew 7, 1 to 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use... It will be measured to you. You don't need to be their judge. That's God's job. Romans twelve seventeen through 21 tells us what to do. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. He'll think about it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let God avenge you. Let him be your advocate. I think when we defend ourselves too adamantly, we may appear guilty. So let God vindicate you. A man was libeled in his local newspaper and he went to a friend and said, what should I do? And listen to his friend's advice. I think it's wise. Do nothing. Half of the people in the city don't get the newspaper. Half of the people who bought it didn't see that article. The half who saw it didn't read it. And half who read it didn't understand what it was about. And the half who understood it didn't believe it. And the half who believed it are of no account anyway. Abraham Lincoln handled criticism well. He once said, if I were trying to read, much less answer all the attacks made on me, this shop might well be closed for any other business. I do the best I can, the very best I know how, and mean to keep on doing it to the end. And if the end brings me outright, what is said against me will not amount to anything. If the end brings me out wrong, ten angels swearing I was right 
would make no difference. Here's the fourth principle from this passage, dealing with difficult people. Genuine love is rewarded when you forgive. Verses 16 to 20. Forgiveness softens your heart. And it's unilateral. It doesn't depend on them. You do it. You release them from the debt they owe. If you still feel they owe you, that's the evidence you haven't forgiven. Dan Allender, I think, has a powerful quote I want to read here. Nothing is wrong with wanting things to be resolved. The problem is that things will get resolved in only one way, with grace and forgiveness. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth leaves everyone blind and toothless. The wrong can never be undone, but it can be forgiven and thereby rendered powerless. To forgive means to write it off. Let it go. Tear up the account. It is to render the account canceled. To forgive means we will never get from that person what was owed us. And that is what we do not like. Because that involves grieving for what will never be. The past will not be different. For some, this means grieving the childhood that never was. For others, it means other things. But to hang on to the demand is to stay in unforgiveness, and that is the most destructive thing that we can do to ourselves. Warning. Forgiveness and opening up to more abuse are not the same. Forgiveness has to do with the past. Reconciliation and boundaries have to do with the future. Limits. Guard my property until someone has repented and can be trusted to visit again. And if they sin, I will forgive again 70 times 7. But I want to be around people who honestly fail me, not dishonestly deny that they have hurt me and have no intent to do better. That is destructive for me and for them. If people are owning their sin, they are learning through failure. We can ride that out. They want to be better and forgiveness will help them. But if someone is in denial or only giving lip service to getting better without trying to make changes or seeking help, I need to keep my boundaries, even though I have forgiven them. Forgiveness gives me boundaries because it unhooks me from the hurtful person. And then I can act responsibly, wisely, if I am not forgiving them. I am still in a destructive relationship with them. I think and I'm convinced that David forgave Saul. And here's my proof. When David learned of Saul's death, he didn't rejoice. Second Samuel one tells us about that. And David said to the young man who told him, where do you come from? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner and a Malachite. David said to him, how is it that you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? This man killed Saul. Then David called one of the young men and said, go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, your blood be on your head for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. And David lamented. 
with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar. He said, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Interesting that Saul's killer was an Amalekite. The very people group God commanded Saul to destroy. And later in history, Haman would be an Amalekite who schemed to destroy and exterminate all the Jewish people. Then David became king, just as Saul said he would. God gave him Saul's kingdom. Why? Because he waited patiently on the Lord and forgave his enemy. Someone said, whatever touches me has passed through the hands of God. God allows hardships for a reason. We may not always know that reason, but we can trust God. And we can know for certain that God means good for us and that he's working that evil thing in our life for good in us to grow us up to be more like Christ. Peter says this in his epistle. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. A couple of application questions as we wind down here. The first is, do you have an enemy? So this morning, I encourage you to put into practice what David did in 1 Samuel 24, especially forgive. Another application question is, are you being Saul? Are you the one throwing spears at anyone? Stop it and repent. Because if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Now, I want to share something personal that I shared two weeks ago in my sermon on Offended. Remember, I told you the story about a man in my 90-year-old father's life who told him a story and my dad gave him $13,000 and he hasn't repaid my dad. And I know I've really been struggling with that. I really just want to pop that guy. So I'm realizing, man, I'm having, I just haven't forgiven this guy. And scheming of ways to get even and so forth. So last night when I'm here at the church praying and going over the sermon and going over these verses. I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, you haven't put these into application. So how can you tell everybody out there to do what you've refused to do? So, wow. So I felt like I did business with God last night. And feel in my heart. That I'm able to forgive this man. And at Thanksgiving, dad brought up this situation. I wasn't going to bring it up because I knew how steamed I would get. So dad brought it up and said, you know what? I'm just trusting God. God's going to get that money back for me some way, somehow. And so I felt like, well, my dad is not angry about it. He's trusting God. He's able to forgive. So who am I? To not be willing to forgive too. So the Lord helped me in a great deal last night. So let me pray for you and me as we close.
Lord, I thank you for your word. It is truth. And when we put it into practice, it does miraculous things in our life. It can set us free from bondage. I know I've experienced that. And I want that for anyone out here this morning. And dealing with difficult people is something we always have to do. Let us do it like Christ. He is our example. And when we do that, you will bless us for it. You'll reward us. You'll give us your kingdom. Help the one, Lord, today who's maybe struggling with unforgiveness. Help them to release that person from the dead. They don't owe it. And then, Lord, I pray that you would bless them abundantly for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and close.